This podcast is brought to you by StormTech. For over 30 years, StormTech has been designing award-winning drains that are used worldwide. As an Australian success story, StormTech is the inventor of the linear drain currently used in thousands of applications across the globe. Used in bathrooms, thresholds, driveways, pools and paved areas, StormTech drains are engineered to solve all drainage needs around your home. With seven award-winning great styles to choose from, StormTech's full range of drains is available in an array of stunning powder-coated colours and electroplated finishes designed to suit any trend or building style. If you want further information, go to www.stormtech.com.au. Okay, welcome to Talking Architecture and Design. My name is Frank Hamiletic, and today we have with us Alexander Symes of Alexander Symes Architects, who is, of course, a registered architect who combines, which what I've read, a scientific approach to sustainability with a practical and poetic understanding of crafting a building. Alexander Science Architects was founded in 2014 with a mission to advance sustainable architecture. Of course, as we know, the world's climate is changing, and we believe that, well, this is your words, I believe, Alex, we believe that architecture must lead the way in changing how we utilise resources to contribute to a sustainable future. Alex goes on further to say, this vision for a sustainable architecture is laid through all aspects of our practice and throughout the all stage of a project. This starts with the examination of a project brief to ensure the grounding principles of a project support a sustainable way of life. As the project takes shape, you tell me that you say that you deploy this depth of technical expertise to realise the project to its full potential. Now, that sounds all normal. So what is a poetic understanding of a building? You can get all the, the technical elements of a building right in terms of what's the right um, sort of insulation levels of your glass and your, your walls and what's the right orientation and what's the right sunshades, etc. And the building can be very um, formulaic in terms of just thinking about performance. But to me, a building isn't just about performance, it's about the people who um, live there and visit there and the views that they look at. It's about how they interact with each other. It's about how it sits visually within the landscape. It's about how people um, sort of move through and around the building. So when I say, a, a, I suppose, a poetic approach, I think that we're sort of taking that very strict technical application of designing a building, but adding some artistry in to make it delightful. Interesting. The reason why I, why I actually figured that was actually probably the, the nicest description I've, I've read for, for in terms of how people, you know, design buildings. At the same time, it, it kind of confused me because when, when you know, when, when I hear the words practical and poetic in, in the same sentence, it's almost a contradiction, isn't it? Or is it? No, no. And it's it's great that we can talk about the upside down Akubra house in those terms because um, if you if you look at the the roof form, it's not an arbitrary angle. It's the minimum angle that custom orb goes at, which is five degrees. So it's saying there's a particular um, angle of the roof sheeting that the, the client wanted a, a rural building and it to be of that particular vernacular. So you, you start with 
that material that's economical, it's, it's, it's appropriate for place, um, and you go, it's a five degree angle. Then from that, you want to shade everything in summer and you want to um, allow all the sun to come in during winter. So then the building form that sits under that hat is a reaction to that natural formation of that five degree roof pitch. Now, you could um, just formulaically use those approaches, but I feel that we test and retest that combination between the um, pragmatic scientific approach to building physics and the aesthetic appreciation and composition over and over again until we get to a very refined result. The, the upside in a Kubra house, um, that won the, um, the single and new dwelling category of last year's sustainability awards. Um, it, it's it's in Tamworth, I believe. It's a three hundred. Uh, yeah, just 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 south of Tamworth. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge spread about three hundred fourteen hectare hectare um, cattle farm. Um, why? I mean, okay, that's you, you've you've now given me the practical um, answer, but um, it, it's almost it's almost the antithesis of, of how architects design. When I when I looked at, I mean, it's, it's beautiful, but it's it's, it is unusual. So how, what was the process that, that got you from, you know, from, uh, you know, talking to the client, coming up with the brief and actually coming up with the design? What was the, how did you actually come up with that? Well, the, the client took me out to site and they, they showed me a few sites and they, they said, well, we love the, the view up there of, of Yellow Rock. Um, and we love the view over in the opposite direction of, of Hanging Rock, and we love the view of the um, of the, the, the the cattle fields all the way around, and the eucalypts to the north. And um, that they were like, we want to be able to frame views of all these particular things. And so the the typical passive solar house faces north. It has glass there. It doesn't have much glass to the east or west, and it has no glass to the south. And so. You, I, I, when a client comes to me with a particular problem, I try and use my technical skills um, to meet that problem and hopefully overall the overall energy used by that building because I've combined my scientific approach means that you, you have a sustainable outcome. So they, they said, we want to have these 360 degree views and I, um, was like okay well that's not what i thought we'd be doing <laughs> and the, the the station manager uh was was at the meeting with us and um he didn't really uh think too much of this city slicker architect coming in who was going to design a, a, a modern building on his property but he was wearing a nakubra hat and to me i was like well we want to be able to capture as much water as possible and we want to be able to control the solar gains in all of these different orientations that the client want to see the views. So I, I asked him to borrow his Akubra hat and I said, we're going to take this Akubra, flip it upside down, capture all the water and be able to um, achieve these 360 degree views, not by necessarily doing glass everywhere, but focusing the views and the window to wall ratio at each orientation so that 
where it is appropriate for the internal function, such as the living spaces, to get a lot of um, direct solar gain into the thermal mass, we can have larger window openings and the roof form relates to that. So the bedrooms, they don't need so much um, daylight. They also, in terms of their um, sort of passive uh, heating or cooling capacity, uh, a bit more diminished. So that was about putting them on the, the Western orientation. So it was sort of this juggling game of how do we appreciate all these views and come up with a window to wall ratio on each particular orientation with this massive roof that creates that poetic response, but technically works. It's interesting you use the term city slicker. Um, could you do, I mean, could you actually do a similar or same design, let's say, in, not in Tamworth, but let's say, I don't know, in Fitzroy or in Newtown or in, you know, Fortitude Valley? The, the design of that upside down Akubra house is um, of that place and it's looking at those particular views. But yes, it could be um, transported to different locations. But I would say that that approach of framing views, blocking out the sun when you don't want the sun, allowing the sun in when we do want the sun, is the same process that I take for every single design. Um, so you could go throughout any of my projects on the website and and tell that same story to a certain degree. So on that point, um, what makes a sustainable house design in your experience? It's constantly moving. Right. Um, so when I, when I first started this journey of sustainability, I returned from studying in Sweden and living there for a while, I sort of um, started to understand their systems approach of recycling and, and sort of higher thermal efficiency design and just their, their general transportation systems. And it, it sort of just, um, I didn't notice it too much whilst I was there. It was when I came back to Australia, I, I noticed a, a stark difference. And I was like, we're, we're not doing things smartly here. Um, so since then, I've been on this sustainability journey and um, I'd say I'm constantly um, evolving what is a sustainable home. So back in 2007, what was a sustainable home was double glazing, good amount of insulation, some good sunshades, um, trying to reduce the amount of concrete as much as possible, um, but, and, and putting in some water tanks and some solar panels. And to a certain degree, that hasn't changed too much. However, the technical implementation of it um, and the additional initiatives that I describe as a sustainable house have evolved. So move forward 13 years, um, I really only want to use concrete as an insulated thermal mass and if we structurally need to use it. Um, I try and use timber wherever possible in terms of its low carbon, to try and meet the passive house standard as much as possible or have certified passive houses so that there's no thermal bridges and we're controlling the infiltration levels and we're controlling the um, sort of uh, moisture within the envelope. So 
the the technical execution of getting a house to be actually sustainable and monitor its embodied energy and its operational energy um, from my experience anyway has become a lot more just rigorous through that process of doing it over and over and over again and i'm still very far short of where i want to be and i'm, I'm hoping um, that i'll continue to uh, increase the standard of what i deem is a sustainable home it's interesting you say sweden i, th I think that that little swedish sojourn of yours has, has made you appreciate the sun more because i've noticed that all of your designs there seems to be a a big um focus on light and and, and on sunlight um uh, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm guessing wrong but from your website i noticed that so in one of your other designs the, the butterfly house i believe yes. um, down on the south coast uh, on, on austin beach again is very very beautiful i mean you use a lot of um uh High well, a, lot, a high amount of recycling, um, from what I what I could what I've read, and also that um, there's also this, this you know, high performance thermal envelopes like high transparency glass and, and whatnot. Is in what ways does the butterfly house? Uh, which ways is it similar to the, the upside down Akuba house, and which ways is it opposite? Because there are some things that I mean, if I'm reading it correctly, it looks like it's almost the opposite in some way. Well, the, the, that butterfly house was um, an addition, or it, it was actually an alteration to an existing right. mission. So the, 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 wind, the, the walls um, around the whole place was just a, a, a brick veneer construction. And the, the ethos there was to take off the roof that was obviously a, a standard pitched roof and um, replace that with an inverted butterfly roof to bring in light and bounce it down through the, the wide footprint and then insulate on the outside of that brick so that it became insulated thermal mass. Um, and then there's other linings and things internal to that. But it was, um, I suppose, one of my earlier projects of um, trying to retain the um, qualities of a site that were working and then reconfigure them in uh, a low impact way. Um, that, that particular design, um, because of its proximity to the ocean, had a particular um, materials strategy. So it, it, it does have stainless steel roofing, for example. So there, there, there is, um, a different approach based on where the site is to what its material and embodied energy should be. Because to me, if something's not going to last the test of time, then it shouldn't be installed. So it's about making sure it's fit for purpose and it's robust in that first instance um, so that the building has a, 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 a good lifespan um, as opposed to necessarily just choosing the, the lowest embodied energy material possible. This podcast is brought to you by StormTech. StormTech has been designing award-winning drains that are used worldwide. As an Australian success story, StormTech is the inventor of the linear drain, currently used in thousands of applications across the globe. Used in bathrooms, thresholds, driveways, pools and paved areas, StormTech drains are engineered to solve all residential drainage needs around your home. 
With seven award-winning great styles to choose from, Stormtech's full range of drains is available in an array of stunning powder-coated colours and electroplated finishes designed to suit any trend or building style. Proud to be Australian inventors, Australian manufacturers and 100% Australian made and owned for over 30 years, all of Stormtech's products are Watermark certified, which is crucial for building insurance purposes. Sustainability is one of the most important aspects in Stormtech's culture. In fact, we take it so seriously that we are the only drainage manufacturer worldwide to achieve Gold Star Green Tag certification. Stormtech's skilled specialists work closely with specifiers, architects and builders to offer tailored drainage solutions, including bespoke drawings and plans for customised drainage designs for all Australian environments. For more information, go to the Stormtech website at www.stormtech.com.au. I was talking recently to a, well, I won't, a well-known architect, I won't name names, um, let's just say it's a he and he's over the age of 60. We'll just leave it at that. Um, and there's a couple of things that struck me that he said, he said to me. He goes, firstly, um, the way he's he's looking at sustainability, he's saying that he's rethinking concrete. Because I know you've mentioned concrete and using the least amount possible. Um, he's rethinking concrete as, as a sustainable product. And he's also looking at um, changing his view on air conditioning because saying that living in a country like Australia where or, you know parts of Australia where things are becoming hotter and hotter um, it is unsustainable to expect people to you know to basically swelter in in you know horrid humidity and heat uh, in fact it's dangerous for some people obviously um, how does what what are your thoughts on that and how does that reconcile with the way you design? Um, it's similar uh, to a certain degree. Um, and I'll, I'll tell you why, and I, and I don't know who you're talking about, but um, the firstly about air conditioning. So with a lot of our buildings at the moment, we're doing a certified passive house. Right. Um, so the, the, the aim of the certified passive house project is to keep the temperature between 20 and 25 degrees and you're doing that through the thermal envelope of your glazing and your insulation. Um, the, the thing there is that sometimes the temperature will go over um, a comfortable threshold and you can put in a small air conditioning system for, for heating or cooling but what you're trying to put in there is the smallest possible air conditioning system so that you're, you're not having a, a peak usage. So with a passive house, you might be putting in a 1.5 kilowatt reverse um, cycle air conditioning system as opposed to a six kilowatt air conditioning system. So that's, that's the, the first thing I'd say about air conditioning. It's, it's, it's not evil, um, but sometimes it's not economical to design out air conditioning completely and you need to be a bit um, practical about those things. The one thing is, I'd recommend is when we go into a future heating climate, we don't want everyone using 6.5 kilowatt air conditioners because the load impact that puts on the grid is um, so much that it means that the investment within the renewables and batteries infrastructure to reduce our uh, 
carbon dependency that we have in this country becomes almost impossible. So reducing down the actual loads that the buildings need to use is the first priority. So hopefully that's answered um, the first part of the air conditioning equation. The second one is if we look at a future um, heating climate where at the moment there might be two or three days that are above 40 degrees in, in Sydney, um, it's forecasted that those days won't necessarily become too much hotter, but that the period, um, whether it's one degree global temperature increase on average or 1.5, it's, it's forecasted that those days will go from two or three to um, 30 days a year or 60 days a year, depending on um, our global increase. So when you get to that situation, you're having to turn on your air conditioning for more days in those um, hotter months. And that will have obviously its own uh, negative impacts, but it means that the day on day impact of creating a passive building that cools down during the night and has night purge is less um, possible. So the old school passive solar design, which relies on the diurnal range, is becomes less applicable. And that's why I'm moving towards the passive house standard of trying to have an envelope first approach. Um, the, the other thing about having a low performance building, and I'm not, not sure that this particular architect you're referring to um, was going there, but you, you could have a low performance building and just invest in the um, uh, air conditioning system and, and run solar so that when it's hot, you can turn it on. The issue there is if you're if you've got a, a greater than 12 degree temperature differential between the inside and outside so if you're trying to cool it down to 24 degrees internally and it's above 36 degrees externally for an extended period of time that's where the um, interstitial mold and mold on the internal surface can actually start to um, become uh, a health issue so you need to make sure that you've got a good thermal envelope as a first principle before putting in air conditioning. So relying purely on air conditioning, I don't think is the answer. On that point, with you mentioned Passive House. Um, now, that is a German standard, is it not? Or was originally a German standard, yes? Yeah. Um, um, so where does, for an architect as yourself, where where does the inspiration come from when, it, when we're talking about um, you know, sustainable designs and sustainable ideas and concepts. Um, it's interesting, you know, what, what, being a, a German designer, you don't, you don't normally think of that as having anything in common with Australia. But um, where do you get your inspiration from when it comes to sustainability? Um, firstly, I'll just address the, the, the Germanness of the Passive House standard. Um, yes, it originated. Um, from Germany, and that's where it's administered from. However, the standard is based on the local climate files, so you, you, you're not you're not using uh, inappropriate climate file. It's the most scientific, robust um, uh, analysis tool um, that has the closest operation between um, predicted operation and actual operation, and that's why um, I feel very um, motivated to push my projects in that direction. Where do I take my um, inspiration from? 
Um, I think from my clients. My, my, my projects are a result of um, my reaction to my clients and, um, and what their wishes and desires are and, um, yeah, try, trying my best to meet their needs because every client's different. They have a different budget. They have a different interest. And it, it's really about um, trying to create something um, special for them. Mm-hmm. Hey, to get off get off sunshine and heat for a while, um, let's talk about water. I mean, from what I've noticed, and again, it's, I'm being very general here, um, water saving is something that, I mean, it's interesting because you, you speak a lot about heat, and that's where a lot of the focus happens in terms of sustainability when it comes to when it comes to Australia with a lot of architects. When it comes to water and water saving, it's probably it plays second fiddle. Um, in your opinion. Do you think that we um we we should be looking at water? If you excuse the pun, a little bit more deeply. Um, My technical um, understandings about water are far more diminished than um, the thermal efficiency of a building. Um, I, I think where possible, we should be able to um, capture and store and reuse on site as much water as possible. The before doing that, though, you need to look at the efficiency of all your appliances and taps and and what actually needs to be used on site. So, in terms of a hierarchy, it, it's it's efficiency, then it's it's capture capacity, and then reuse. Um, looking more on a macro scale about what's potentially proposed at Warragamba Dam and and um, alternatives in terms of desalination and things like this, I. I don't want to comment because I don't have a, a, a great um, technical understanding of those particular options. Um, but if we can do as much as possible within our own control, which is our own site, and capture as much as possible, be as efficient as possible, and reuse as much as possible, it puts less demands on those um, macro services that hopefully mean that there won't be the environmental degradation to Warragamba Dam being increased or um, the desalination plants being proposed. So I think that unfortunately, globally, we will need to think a bit more about um, efficiency and additional water capacity. Um, but that's that's the future that unfortunately we have to um, to come to. Okay, that's that's actually true. I mean, when you say that you know water isn't isn't your sort of expertise, I, I've got to say that neither it is of just about ninety nine percent of architects I speak to, which is which is actually quite normal. But are, are there technologies that perhaps we we should be employing on, on a on a let's say on a on a on a home or house or a suburban level that we we or that you may know of or that, that that is being used overseas that we're not using here or that we could be using here. Um, because I've seen a few things around the traps. I mean, some things are obvious, obvious, and some things are a bit, bit, bit nutty. But um, are there are there new technologies that that we should be using in terms of our house design? I, I tend to try and keep things pretty simple when you're connected to the grid, uh, because going outside of the um, sort of I'm, I'm talking a Sydney centric approach here, going outside of the Sydney water requirements for connection um, and things. Uh, they're pretty prescriptive of what you, you can do. There is architects and designers who have done some pretty uh, interesting and innovative um, things there, but 
I, I try and just concentrate on maximising the, the capture and the rainwater tank size and then maximising where that can be reused within the house. Um, in terms of innovative solutions globally, um, you, you always see sort of uh, these arid desert examples of collecting um, sort of the humidity out of the air and that coming into the building and things. I, I don't necessarily think we need that level of innovation in, a, in, a, in our country. We have um, quite consistent rainfall to the um, surface area of our dwellings and our population to be able to do a lot of that stuff on site with just the standard technologies as opposed to um, investing in uh, new technologies. What I would say is that there's opportunities at more of a macro scale for collecting of stormwater and recycling and reuse of that as opposed to um, our current processes, which is just letting it all go out to the oceans. Okay. Um, getting on to, on to you a bit more, um, I've noticed that one of a few awards, haven't you? Um, in fact, according according to your website, you you were winning awards before you you even you even became a business. So, um, <laughs> and a lot of them tend to be, which is really interesting actually. You think about it, um, a lot of them have to be for sustainability. Um, uh, what is the secret to your success? Because I, I haven't seen. I mean, I've I've seen a, a lot of architecture. A lot of firms have won awards, but you seem to have won up. It's a very healthy list there, Alex. Um, what's the secret? Um, it, it mainly has come down to teaming up with builders and clients with a similar passion. Um, and so a lot of those awards, um, I, I put them there um, because it, it does show a close relationship with um, builders that I work with. There, there's a lot of master builders awards there for environmental efficiency or environmental management. And um, maybe architects don't typically acknowledge those building awards on their websites but i put them there because i've worked hard with the builder and the client to um, showcase those awards and do the best things we can on those um, and i feel like it's a team effort sustainability is a, a team effort you, it, there's no one single person that's carrying the whole um the whole sort of bag no no it's quite impressive actually and it's quite, quite good to see i was I, I was going to say, I, I'm assuming that means that this year you'll be you'll be entering the, the sustainability awards again. I, I hope. Um, I do have quite an interesting project that I'll have to talk to the builder and client about. But um, yes, hope hope to. Good to know. So, in the future, or for the future, what what is what does the future look like for Alexander Science? Both uh, both as, as as an individual and as, and as a firm. As as as. You said in the introduction, we only really started in 2014 um, in earnest. So we're, we're still in our first 10 years and still learning how to operate in a particular way. I, I've had some um, sort of side journeys in terms of trying to get into mass production of sustainable homes and um, things that aren't necessarily architecture like parklets and 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 that because i love the um the technical part of design and construction and and thinking about scales um but in the in the near future i've decided to put that on 
hold and and really learn how to be the best architect traditionally that I possibly can and really concentrate on getting a, a good um, sort of so, solid five years of, of passive houses under my belt. And then hopefully after that five years, I will um, go back more into a little bit of the um, uh, scalable designs of how sustainability can be a more affordable um, and sustainable for everyone as opposed to one individual commissions because that's where I really, um, I suppose my heart lies, um, but I um, haven't got the, the skill sets and experience to do that to a capacity that I'm comfortable with. So yeah, the next five years is just trying to do as many amazing projects with clients and get as many sustainable homes built as possible. Well, Alex, I'm actually excited to see what your next design will be. And I know I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be um, thrilled with uh, whatever you'll be submitting to the Sustainability Awards. Um, thank you very much for your time. You're most welcome. Um, I look forward to talking to you again and good luck with, with everything you're doing. And um, yes, I, I, I won't, I don't be surprised if we don't, if, if, if we uh, talk again, if we may well. Great. Thanks, Frank. I really appreciate everything you do, mate. Thank you very much. You've been talking, you've been listening, sorry, to Talking Architecture and, and Design uh, with Alexander Symes from Alexander Symes Architects. Uh, this is Break Analytic, and until next time, goodbye. This podcast is brought to you by StormTech. For over 30 years, StormTech has been designing award-winning drones that are used worldwide. As an Australian success story, StormTech is the inventor of the linear drone currently used in thousands of applications across the globe. Used in bathrooms, thresholds, driveways, pools and paved areas, StormTech drains are engineered to solve all drainage needs around your home. With seven award-winning great styles to choose from, StormTech's full range of drains is available in an array of stunning powder-coated colours and electroplated finishes designed to suit any trend or building style. If you want further information, go to www.stormtech.com.au.